1898, there was an Episcopal priest. His name was Father Paul Watson. Later became known as Father Paul Graymore of Graymore, New York, who started a society. It was called the Society of the Atonement. And by atonement, he meant at one meant. It was meant to bring people together as one. The purpose of the society was to be bridge builders, to be reconcilers, to be peacemakers, bringing the people of God together. That was 1898 when it was founded. In 1909, history was made when the Society of the Atonement became the first Protestant group to come communally into the Catholic Church, to be reunited, the first one since the Protestant Reformation to come back in together as a group. The Society of the Atonement would also begin something called the Octave of Unity. This is the week of prayer for Christian unity. And this would spread. It would be used by both Protestants and also by the Catholic Church. And it is this week that we are celebrating uh, right now, right here, this Sunday. It continues. It started on the 18th, January 18th. It continues until January 25th. And it's designed to remind us of this great calling of our Lord, that we are to be one, that we are to be united together as one body. The unity of divided humanity is God's will. A lot of people think, oh, well, unity is a great thing, but isn't that, you know, our Lord came for other stuff, right? Just to get rid of sin and, and unity is just kind of this kind of far second, right? No. I would offer you today that unity is the reason why our Lord came. Not a secondary reason, but the primary reason, the core reason why he came. Think about it. Think about our story. So when sin came into the world, the result of sin was separation. Remember Adam and Eve? They didn't want to be with each other in an intimate way anymore. They put on clothes. They felt shame when they were with each other. Not something that normally a husband and wife would feel together. But because of sin that came into the world, this, it separated them. It separated Adam and Eve from each other. And not only did it cause separation within humanity, but of course it caused separation between us and God. Remember that God came, it says, according to the scriptures in the Genesis, that he came to walk among them in the garden and they fled. They felt fear, they felt shame, so they went and hid themselves from God. Sin causes separation. Fast forward a few thousand years to King Rehoboam. King Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And it was because of his sin, because of his selfishness and greed, that separation would come to the people of God. He decided to overly tax the people, to harshly tax them. And as a result, of the 12 tribes of the people of God, 10 of them decided, we're not going to put up with this anymore. And so they left. This became known as the Northern Kingdom or the Samaritan Kingdom. And then the two tribes down in the south, these are the uh, they became known as the kingdom of Judah. This took place in about the year 1000 BC. Separation within God's people as a result of sin. Fast forward about two and a half millennia to what we know today as the Protestant Reformation. Something very similar was taking place. There was a man, part of the Medici family, a prominent banking family, uh, who'd gotten hold of the papacy. 
the, you know, the, the universal pastor of the Christian church, of the Catholic church. He took on the name Pope Leo X, and he was not particularly a, a, a good pope. He was very greedy, very similar to King Rehoboam. And this is when we have this indulgence controversy, lots of other failings within leadership within the Catholic Church. As a result of this greed, of this sin, again, separation came into the church. And many of our Protestant brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters, separated themselves out from this church that Christ had founded and it would found their own, their own groups. But all this came about as a result of sin and selfishness and greed. That's the results of sin. And it's for this reason, for the healing of that separation that our Lord came. He came to heal that separation between us and God, but also to heal the rift within the human family, to bring us back together. That's why he came. Think about all the prophets that proclaimed his coming. They were getting the world ready for his coming. They said again and again and again that one is coming who was going to bring the tribes back together, meaning bring the people of God back together. Isaiah talked about this. Ezekiel talked about this. Baruch talked about this. Jeremiah, again and again. The Messiah was going to bring the people of God back together, to bring the tribes back together. And one of the first things that our Lord did when he came is he chose 12 men upon which to found his kingdom. Why did he pick 12? Because this was symbolic of bringing the tribes back together. This is symbolic of his ministry, the purpose, the reason for which he came. And then in John chapter 11, we read about this prophecy that was given by the high priest at the time. And he said that Jesus was meant to die to bring together the scattered people of God who've been scattered abroad. Again, bringing together, healing humanity, healing these separations, these rifts. And then our Lord himself in John chapter 17 he prayed. This is high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that he prayed just before sacrificing himself on the cross. Very, very important words and very important for us in understanding his ministry and why he came, what he's all about. And what he prayed in that high priestly prayer, John 17, he said, Father, I pray that they, meaning all of us, his followers, Christians, the Christian family, I pray that they would be one. As you and I are one, this is why he came, to bring us back together. This is the reason. It was God's will to heal a divided humanity. And that's why God the Father sent God the Son into the world, to bring us back together, to heal the family. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds good. That sounds great. Uh, but, but what exactly does that mean? You know, this, this unity, you know, this oneness. Uh, it sounds great, but wh- wh- how do, what does that look like? Does it, is this like some sort of like invisible unity that we all say, you know, and be nice to each other? But, you know, what does it mean exactly? I would offer to you that our Lord told us what it meant in John 17 when he said, Father, I pray that they will be one. How? What does this look like? I pray that they'll be one as you and I are one. The oneness that he wanted us to experience, 
is that oneness that's found in the Trinity, the oneness that's found in God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, a good and whole and perfect oneness, a complete oneness. You know, it's not the kind of oneness that maybe you experience when you go to your company picnic. You know, you go to your company picnic, you don't really want to be there, but everybody's just kind of there out of obligation. That's not the oneness that our Lord was talking about. He was talking about this perfect oneness. He said in John 17, 23, he says, that they be, may be perfectly one. Uh, in our second reading today from St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, St. Paul kind of teases this out about what this means, this oneness means. You want to know what the kind of oneness that we're called to? This is it. That there be no dissension among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's the kind of oneness that we're called to. A oneness that doesn't have dissension, a oneness that doesn't have disagreement, a perfect oneness, like in the Holy Trinity. For me, I'm a convert. I wasn't raised Catholic. And so I was searching all different sorts of denominations, lots of denominations. I spent hours and hours and hours reading doctrinal statements, trying to figure out this, this Christian family and what it was. And in looking at all these different denominations, in my experience, what I discovered is that the unity that I saw, that I found within the Catholic Church was unlike anything else that I'd seen in any other organization, any other denomination. Within the Catholic Church, I seen a oneness of belief, a oneness in the profession of faith. No matter where you went, it was the same church, the same teachings. I seen a oneness in the sacraments, meaning in worship, the way that we worship the Lord. And then a oneness within the leadership of the church. And this hierarchy was built to keep the church as one, to keep it together. This is the oneness that we're called to. It's this Trinitarian oneness, a oneness that there's no dissension, disagreement, uh, that one is really, truly together. However, this oneness doesn't mean that we are called to sameness. Within the Blessed Trinity, there's not particularly sameness. Yes, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in the one nature, in one divine nature. But God the Father is not the same as the Son. The Son is not the same as the Spirit. There is differentiation. There is distinct and unique identity within the Holy Trinity. So also within the body of Christ, yes, we're called to oneness, but that doesn't mean we're called to sameness. You know, we are, a good example of this is the ordinariate. You know, this mass that we're celebrating here today, it's different than other masses within the Catholic Church. It's, it has kept its distinction. It hasn't been dissolved. You know, it was because of the, the creativity and fearless leadership of Pope Benedict people who told him, no, don't do this, but he did anyway, that we are here. This beautiful, distinct form of the Mass that was, that was welcomed into the church. So oneness doesn't mean losing who you are, your identity, your distinctiveness. No, the oneness that we're called to is this Trinitarian oneness, a full and, and perfect, complete oneness. This is the oneness our Lord prayed for but also a oneness that has distinction and difference, even 
within that, without dissension in belief or worship or leadership. And that has differences, but those that are not confused or muddled or, or dissolved into one another, but are celebrated, supported. This is the oneness that our Lord talked about, this Trinitarian oneness that we're called to. We're called to oneness, to unity. If you're Catholic, I would encourage you to look for that oneness even outside of the Catholic Church. See how the Lord is is drawing others uh, into that oneness that we experience here within the church in his work. Uh, And he's at work, uh, especially in our Protestant brothers and sisters who share with us uh, that same baptism, calling us together to oneness. Also look inside the church for that oneness, even amongst distinctions and differences. You know, we're called Catholic. Catholicity means all these differences being brought together as one. See that, rejoice and celebrate it here within the Catholic church. For Protestants, you know, if you're Protestant, you're listening, uh, you know, consider deeply your roots. Our roots, really, because for most of the 2,000-year history of the church, we were together. It's only been for a quarter of that time, less than a quarter of that time, that we've been separated. Our Lord is calling us to that oneness. For both Protestants and Catholics, I would encourage you to read a letter, an encyclical that was written by uh, St. John Paul II. It's called At Unum Sint, that they may be one. At Unum Sint by St. John Paul II. Beautiful reflection on this oneness that we're called to. So work toward this high and holy calling. Uh, Pray for it, that we may, as the Christian people, uh, celebrate and live out in that Trinitarian unity that we're called, that God may be glorified. Amen.